Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Today, we're happy to welcome Scott Kelby. It's just in time for the summer travel season, and Scott has just published the Travel Photography Book with Rocky Nook. Scott, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, absolutely. Thanks. Thank you. We, we just spent five minutes talking about all the guitars. He has 40 guitars, and I'm <laughs> lusting after them, but we're just going to talk about cameras this time. <laughs> I've got to say, I don't travel a lot, but I looked at your book, and the thing that I expected to see in the first chapter didn't come until the third chapter. Like, which gear do you take on a trip? It seemed to me that with multiple cameras and lenses, I would obsess about that before going anyplace. It's true. Uh, I, I think I started the book with the uh, research uh, on what yeah. to do before the trip. Because so this is what you do before you even think of packing your bag. Right. So, so this is I do it. I, I, I'm really weird about this, but I because I, I do travel a lot and I love travel. I came back from nine days in Prague just this week. And uh, so I, I did a bunch of of research on Prague well before I went. So that's like my first step. My first step is to figure out where I'm going to shoot, and that helps me also determine what I'm going to bring. So that's why I kind of True. do that yeah. first. True. So uh, I, I'm leading a workshop. So I, when I go to like Prague or, or Rome or Paris or whatever, I'm leading 12 other photographers in a workshop. And can I tell you, this is straight up honest. Uh, we have Zoom calls. I do newsletters. And, and the topic of every single Zoom call on one of the topics is to tell them and to try to convince them to bring less gear than they think they want to bring. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and the, like when people give me it, so I do a questionnaire at the end of my things and if they regret anything, it's always, they regret bringing too much gear. They thought, yeah. <laughs> well, what if I'm over there? It's once in a lifetime. I don't get to prog all the time. And what if I don't have the lens? You, you, you'll still get the shot. You'll get it with the lens you have. Um, yeah. I took two lenses for the whole week. That's all I travel with. I have a 14 to 35 and I take a 24 to 240. So I'm really covered from 14 yeah. all the way to 240. And if I need something longer than 240, I'll just crop my 240 image and it yeah. becomes 300, yeah. 350, whatever I want. And, and, and this is you leading a workshop, not just being a tourist, right? Just taking those two lenses. Right. But I would take those two lenses whether I'm touristing because I was touristing the first few days. I went a couple of days early and did some location scouting and did some things that I wanted to do. And I was with a couple of buddies. And then and then the workshop started afterwards. So whether I'm with my family because I'm taking a family vacation, a couple of them this summer, um, I'll be taking those two lenses and I carry everything in a very small sling bag. So it is a think tank photo. Uh, it's called the Turnstile 10. And it is enough. So this bag is very small. Uh, it's very, very lightweight. And in it, I, I hold one lens. So what's in that bag is one lens, two ND filters, a platypod ultra, which I use instead of a tripod, uh, a ball head and a cleaning cloth, a couple extra batteries and an extra memory card. And it all fits in there with room to spare. So if I do need to change lenses during the day, uh, you know, it sits on your side, but when you want to change lenses, you swivel around in front of you, you open the zipper, there's all your stuff, you change out your lenses, you zip it back. Um, because it goes across your body, it, your your shoulders don't get sore, it doesn't make you 
you know, uh, you don't get any tired or fatigue from it. Uh, there's only one light lens in there. And by the way, the lenses that I have are not F 2.8. They're not big, heavy lenses. They are light, inexpensive lenses. One lens was under a thousand and the other one was 1200, which it sounds like a lot of money. But when you come talking to lenses, those are bargain lenses, sharp as crap. They're both just <laughs> sharp as anything. Uh, they're mirrorless. They're RF lenses for a Canon. I, I'm shooting with a Canon R6. Those lenses are sharp as anything. You know, it's weird. And you guys can tell me if, you've, if, if you're hearing this, but remember, uh, we'll just go back to DSLR days, which is just, what, four days ago? <laughs> no, we'll go to DSLR <laughs> days. And, and the discussion around lenses was always... Is this lens sharp? Is that lens sharp? What about this one? This one's a little sharper. In the mirrorless world, you can buy a $300 lens and they're sharp. Like It's almost like the discussion of sharpness and worry about lens sharpness is almost over. I don't hear anybody talking about it anymore. Every lens you buy, they're so sharp. And that was supposed to be part of the dream of, of mirrorless. So I understand that. So I'm, I may not be telling you. But are you guys hearing the same thing or are people still obsessing about sharpness that I'm not hearing? I think there are some pixel peepers who obsess about sharpness, but when you look at the reviews, like on DP Review, and you look at the, the test pattern photos they they shoot, everything looks so sharp. It's like Jeff and I both have Fujifilm cameras, and Fujifilm has a more expensive lens line and a cheaper lens line, and all the reviews compare the cheaper one to the more expensive one, saying it's almost exactly the same. It's a plastic body instead mm -hmm. of metal. It's not weather resistant. But in terms of, I've ne I never care about sharpness. I honestly don't because the the lenses I have, they're just fine. Oh, I, I agree. Whenever I hear anything about sharpness, it's usually in the context of like some of these uh, manual focus, you know, $200 F1.4 lenses by third-party manufacturers. And some of those, you'll be like, well, yeah, this is a really cheap lens and you're getting it because you want that soft background. And yeah, it might not be so sharp, but it'll sort of do in a pinch or just make sure that everything you have is, you know, right in the middle of the frame and then crop the soft parts around. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, there there is a great equalizer and you guys may already know about it. Uh, some of your listeners may not know about it, but it is the great equalizer because no matter what lens you have, this will make it ridiculously crazy sharp. Um, there is a plugin for Photoshop or Lightroom called Topaz AI Sharpen. That, guys, I'm telling you, it's a miracle. All you do is you open your photo. It analyzes the photo using AI. It sharpens it and you click OK. You don't have to mess with it. You don't have to do anything. And the sharpness it achieves, I've completely stopped sharpening in Photoshop or Lightroom. Like I shoot a lot of aviation uh, as well. So I, I shoot, you know, air shows and things like that. And I'll sit there and I'm looking at a plane that I shot going 450 miles an hour. One of the Thunderbirds, the Blue Angels zipping by. And I run Topaz on it and I just run it. I don't do anything. I just open it and click OK. And now I can read the uh, the pilot's name on the side of the plane where it was blurry and I can see, oh, it's Bob Johnson. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Whatever lens you have, whether it's mirrorless or DSLR, that thing's going to make it a $3,000 lens. Isn't it possible that in the future we won't even need to bring two lenses because these AI things that, that blow up images are so efficient now that we might just need a single lens and we don't really need to worry about the zoom? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to agree with you. Uh, I, my, my wife wrote an article for, I think it was Digital Photo Magazine this week. She's a, a serious iPhoneographer, and she needed some more resolution. 
So I, I opened up on one's uh, resize AI, chose 200%, mm-hmm. scaled it up. The scaled up version looks better than the original. There's something in their algorithm that makes it look better before sharpening. There's a slider for sharpening. Mm. So this is pre-sharpening. Yeah. You're looking at the before and after on screen. You're like, I just, this stuff is crazy. The AI stuff is the is the game changer, Kirk. I, I agree with you. And I think there will be a time before long where you can go with one lens and just the, whatever resolution you need. You're, I mean, you're taking an iPhone photo. Now she has yeah. an iPhone 13, which is, is, and she shoots in raw. It's a nice, origi- clean original. But my goodness, I couldn't believe I got the thing up to 22 inches or something like that. And it's sharp as crap. I'm just like, wow. Another thing that we're seeing, um, DJI just released their, uh, I want to say it's uh, the DJI Mini 3 Pro or Mini Pro 3. Um, And one of the interesting things about that is – so this is a drone and they say it has a 48-megapixel camera. Well, it actually doesn't. It's a 12-megapixel camera that can shoot – Basically, you know, 4x upsizing that's happening in the camera. And so, you know, given Apple's technology and the processor technology and the camera company's technology, like there's really not much barrier between taking a, you know, uh, let's say a 25, 24 megapixel sensor that I have in my Fuji here and boosting that to 50 or 60 or 70 through software and still get good results. Not like the old, uh, you know, digital zoom of, of old where it would just sort oh, yeah. of turn into a nice big blurry mess. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. It, we're, we're living in a, a really neat time, especially for travel photographers to be able to travel light, come back with great sharp images and if they're not if if they are even if they are a little blurry even if you messed up and you did your handheld in the Sistine Chapel or something you know you can slap stuff like topaz on it and 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 resize it and all this stuff it's it's crazy the ai stuff is is uh is amazing and i think it's particularly great for travel photographers i've also found that high iso is not really as much of a consideration anymore when you have some of these other apps that will do the denoising because that's that's the thing that always gets me when I'm traveling is, oh, I don't have, say, you know, a, a, an f2.8 lens. Here I am inside a church that is gorgeous, but I, I just know that if I'm going to handhold this, I need it to be high enough that I need to increase my ISO and it's going to be noisy. And now – Okay, it's going to be noisy. I know that I can take care of that in software later, and I'm not stressing about it. Yeah, I, I use uh, on one's uh, uh, AI noise. <laughs> it's, if it has the word AI in it, I'm using it, and yeah. uh, and it does a brilliant job. It does a really, really great job without you know. It has some kind of a sharpening algorithm in it that allows it to remove the noise and still sharpen the photo. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 all about it. These aren't taking away my creativity. They're giving me more time back to be creative. I'm not spending my time in Photoshop, you know, struggling over noise or sharpness or whatever. These things take care of it for me and I'm back to having fun. So, I don't I look at these things as almost like an assistant. Like if you could hand it over and say, hey, can you get rid of the noise and sharpen this up and resize it to 24 by 36? And then I'll take it from there. Thanks. Exactly. So let's talk about traveling to a city you've never been to. You do some research. You make a checklist. You get there. The weather's bad. Um, There's too many people when you get to certain places. Yeah. Do you really need to try and get all those pictures that you need to get that everyone's taken of the Eiffel Tower and the Sistine Chapel? Because there's so many things to photograph. 
There are, but there's something weird that I've learned about travel photography and it is, it's a psychological effect on other people instead of you. Mm. So let's just say that you go, you go to Paris and I go, Hey, I want to show you my pictures from Paris. Well, and I've done this, I've seen this so many times. So I'm showing somebody either on my, usually on my iPad, I'm flipping through my photos and it's Paris and I'm going and I'm going and you can almost count the seconds. You can tell the person's getting, um, anxious. And then finally they say, do you have any pictures of the Eiffel tower? (laughs) There, there is an expectation that if you tell, especially an American, you tell American picture London and what do they picture? Big Ben. When you picture, um, uh, Rome, the Colosseum, uh, or Italy, their leaning tower of Pisa, uh, you know, they have these expectations. And what I've learned is show them that first, because <laughs> it will ease their. So I go and I take the classic picture. I'm standing right there in front of the Eiffel Tower. It's been shot 50 million times. There's like 128 million pictures of it on Google. I stand there, I take the shot, and I open with it. That's my first shot because yeah. then they can enjoy what you're talking about, which is, you know, there's more to Paris and there's more to Rome and London than, than the tourist attractions than the classic icons. But people want to see those so badly that I open with those, I get them out of the way and then they can enjoy the rest of your photography. But I'm telling you, Kirk, I've sat there and watched people get anxious waiting <laughs> for that shot of Big Ben to come up. Did you get a shot of Big Ben? Nope. I never saw it the whole time I was there. <laughs> nope. Here it is. Boom. I start with it and move on. I know it sounds silly. And as photographers, it sounds trite to us. Yeah. But I'm telling you, the public... The public wants to see that shot and they want to see it early. <laughs> so that that's my first move right there. So, that is it. so your first day of photography is to get to the Eiffel Tower, to Big Ben, to whatever. I, I don't make it necessarily my first day because I really do it based on the weather. Mm. Uh, but I know that I'm going by that Eiffel Tower for sure. Now, I, t- I led a, a workshop in Paris and we did get up one morning at dawn and we went to an area called the Trucadero which is behind the Eiffel Tower, which is not actually at the Eiffel Tower. Across the it's river. behind it, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's across the river, exactly. It's a beautiful view of it. Now, how many photographers were there in the morning before dawn to shoot the beautiful light on the Eiffel Tower? Zero. Yeah. Just us. Everywhere we go, we show up in Rome, we show up wherever. Um, we show up on the Charles Bridge in Prague, which is its Eiffel Tower, if you want to say what's yeah. its iconic thing. We're the only ones there. Now, as the light starts to get bad, the sun comes up, and now it's kind of harsh, and the shadows are bad. Here come all the photographers. Mm. You got to get up a half an hour before sunrise. Nobody's on the streets. There's no tourists. You can shoot. Literally, we're shooting the Eiffel Tower, and we're the. it's just the Eiffel Tower and us. And these are places where an hour from then, there'll be 600 people there. Yeah. But it, that's one of the big secrets of travel photography. And that's why every day in my workshop in Prague last week, at 4.40 a.m., a bus pulls up in front of the hotel. We all pile in. We get out location. And we are – so um, sun- sunrise was 5.38. We were in position ready to shoot at 5 a.m. Because the beautiful light happens before sunrise. Yeah. It's yeah. – once the sun comes up, well, you know, you get that moment where the sun's peeking over the bridge or the Eiffel Tower or whatever. And then it's crud. <laughs> yeah. The, the bad light comes and here comes the rest of the photographers. So we, we get up early. So that's a, uh, you know, but I do, I, I'm going to make sure that I come back with that Eiffel Tower shot standing right in front of it. You know, now what I like to do photographically is, for example, um, we hired a model 
and we shot on the top of our hotel. We had a, there was a rooftop lounge and we had this beautiful shot and the Eiffel Tower, I positioned it to where it would be in the background. So you have the little stamp or the trademark, okay, you're in France, mm. but it's about this person. And we dressed her in like a 1940s outfit with long black gloves and a, you know, a deco kind of hat. We, we bought it in the States and shipped it over because it's too expensive to buy real stuff in Paris. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, it, it's, it's, that was kind of a, a, so I, I like to include things like the Eiffel Tower or things like that as a background element rather than for me, photographically, like to show my photography friends, but for the public, I'm going. I'm going all in on that Eiffel Tower. Yeah, but there's also in certain cities there's places to know certain days. Like if you want to shoot in La Défense to the west of Paris, you go on Sunday. There's hardly anyone. If you want to shoot um, Wall Street in Manhattan, you go on Sunday morning. It's the same thing. So there yep. are places that are business areas where you won't get a lot of people off the sort of peak periods. Right. And that's why the, the research that you do before the trip is so important. That's when you learn those things. Once you're already there, you're, you're tired and you're hustling from place to place and you're standing in line and you're waiting for a taxi or an Uber or whatever. So, um, yeah, this is all stuff you have to do well up front, but, uh, it, it's, 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 it makes the difference. It really is important. So when you do your research, where do you start? 500 PX. I start on 500px, which is a website you can search for free, and it is serious photographers from all over the world. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it already, but I love it. And uh, you can just search, you know, type in Rome, and here comes beautiful shot after beautiful shot of Rome. And very often, the photographer who took the shot will either give you the GPS coordinates of where it was taken, or just tell you, you know, hey, go down this little alley and turn at the butcher shop and go 50 feet and then turn right. And there's a dock and it says it's it looks like it's locked, but the gates always open. So just go out on the dock and there's the shot. You know, so there's they're very, very good about many of them are very, very good about sharing the exact location things were. So I start there. Then my next stop is Pinterest. Uh, Pinterest is great because it's very different. 500 PX is a bunch of photographers sharing their favorite photos. Pinterest is regular people saying these are, I've curated from all these different photographers, these beautiful shots of, of, of London or whatever, of Madrid. And so you you look through and, and you're getting a very different perspective. The only downside to Pinterest is, man, it is packed with ads. Packed, 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 yeah. packed, packed. You click on things that don't look like an ad and it's an ad. And if it says 12 things to shoot or 12 Instagrammable spots, you know, you're going to somebody's, you know, somebody's website where they're going to try to sell you something. So those are my two main places that I do search is those those two usually give me the bulk of what I need. And so that's that's where I start. You, you mentioned Instagram and I find this really fascinating what's happened in terms of photographic locations. Like every once in a while, you see a photo of someone at the edge of a, an outcropping over a canyon. And then you see the photo of the camera turned around of the 85 people waiting <laughs> online to take the exact same shot in the same location. Yeah, And you get these yeah. locations that are so overwhelmed with people that uh, you're in Paris, the Eiffel Tower is easy to shoot from anywhere. But all these other locations, is it even worth bothering to go to them now? Well, there are some things that you can do. Um, there's a technique that I do, and I used it in Prague this week many times, which is to have Photoshop remove the people from the scene. Because you're right, there are so many people. There's no place that you go where you're just like in the middle of the day, wow, no one's here but me. So um, 
What you do is this. The, the technique is you, you take a shot every 15 seconds. So I keep the camera to my eye. I don't bring it down. I go click. I count to 15. Click. I do it again. I get about 10 shots. You take those 10 shots into Photoshop. And there is a feature in Photoshop. And I talk about it in the book. Um, but you, it is basically, it's a script that runs. It looks for anything in the image that's moving. And it removes it. It's brilliant for getting rid of tourists. You can stand mm. in front of the the Trevi Fountain and uh, and there's, you know, 200 people. The only kicker is this is what you got to do, Kirk. This is the secret. Everybody has to move. Yeah. If somebody stands there the whole time, they'll, they'll be, be in there. the shot. Yeah. So what yeah. I do is whoever's with me, I go, can you ask that person to move? They'll stroll <laughs> over there and say, hey, can you just move a little? We're taking a picture. Never in any case has any, anybody done anything but like, oh, sure, of course. Yeah. Yes. And they move out of the way. You only need them to move two feet. You yeah. just got to get them to move off that spot and then Photoshop will do it. And it, it's it's like watching, you know, when people talk about Photoshop magic, mm. that's Photoshop magic where you see this scene. I did this one where I'm shooting in uh, on the Deco district of Miami. There's cars going by, all this crud. I, I open them up. I run the script and it's just an empty, it's the Versace mansion, completely empty, nobody there. Just mm. done. So that, that works amazingly well. And if you handhold... It will automatically, there's a checkbox to let you automatically align the images perfectly. So, so it's kind of like that's HDR a, alignment. Yeah, it's kind of like that, right? Same kind of thing. Um, it uses Photoshop's auto align. But honestly, it works like a charm. I use it uh, all the time. <laughs> it's very, very popular. And it works great. So uh, that's, you know, there's between getting up early and, but but you're right. If it's a popular spot or a really cool location, it's hard to hide anything from the internet. Yeah. So everybody's already got <laughs> it. And and there are so many articles that say the top 10 Instagrammable spots. Yep. I, I, I read about one in London and it was in a really cool hotel. I want to say it's the Renaissance or the Radisson something. Had this amazing staircase and these beautiful red carpets and all this stuff. And uh, and it said it was one of the top Instagram. Yeah, there was like 50 people there. Like yeah. the only thing you have to do, and this is an important strategy, is patience. Mm. I just stand there and wait. So, for example, um, one of the one of the most spectacular places in Prague that I found during my research, and I never would have guessed this, is the Spanish synagogue. It is ridiculous. It is unbelievable. Like you walk in, you're just like it's like a palace on top of a cathedral. It's incredible. But I walk in. There's a number of tourists, and then here comes a, a school group of kids, like 35 kids. And the place is crawling with kids everywhere. So I just waited. And you know what? This is what I tell people, and they forget about this when it comes to travel. You don't need the room to be empty for three minutes. You need it to be empty for one one twenty-fifth of a second. Yeah. Literally, you just need enough for a shutter to click, and you got the room empty. And I did. I just waited them out. I had to wait about seven or eight minutes until I got this shot. And, you know, it kind of drives you crazy because you're watching, you're like, if that one kid on the left just moves two more feet. Oh, no, he's going right. No, 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 no. But, uh, yeah, you just wait him out. And I did it numerous times this past week, and it worked out great. It's just, you know, patience is one of our, our – it's one of the hardest photographic techniques in our bag of tricks. But it's the one of the most effective. So uh, I did it in front of Disney's castle. I did it in front of the castle at Disneyland. How can I get it with nobody inside? It took about 25 minutes of me standing there 
aiming at the door of the castle at Disneyland in California. But I got it. I got a mm. shot with not a single person there in the middle of the day. You think I, I was there when the doors opened in the morning. And again, it's just because I needed just that split second and son of a gun, I took the shot and then here comes a family of four. So <laughs> it, that, that, that thing pays off big time. What about when you do want to shoot people? Um, I know more and more countries are coming up with restrictions to street photography that it, it, the, the the French call it the, the right to your image that you can say yep. to people, don't take my picture. How much do you oh, encounter yeah. that? Because you are doing a lot of this sort of um, photographic workshops. Where do you, which countries do you find this and how much of a problem is this? Uh, the, the biggest problem place, uh, you would think it would be Paris because they have very strict rules about it, but it's hands down New York City. Oh really? my gosh. Really? New York City is where you are have the most the highest chance of getting punched in the face. Uh of, I was leading a photo walk um in New York. I'm walking down the street. I'm on Fifth Avenue and I see the Empire State Building. And I and there was an awning that said Empire State, and then you got the Empire State in the background. So I'm leaning up, my camera is leaning up, and I'm shooting down the uh you know, at the Empire State Building. I'm not aiming down the street. Some guy comes up and goes off on me. You know, you you have no right to take my picture. He's screaming at me. He's yelling at me. And luckily, I had like 25 people in my uh, in, in my group. So I had mm-hmm. a gang. And so we beat the crud <laughs> out of that guy. We just beat him. No. no, we didn't. You know, I'm just like, dude, I, I had to, I turned him around and showed him my camera. I go, I'm not photographing you. And I turned him around and I showed him the picture and he just kept cussing and yelling like he didn't care. He was sure, sure that I shot him and just, and I've run into that in New York numerous times. Uh, really? I've also, uh, Us New you know, Yorkers done, are friendly I, I, usually. <laughs> not in the city. So here's the thing. New York State, absolutely. Hey, I grew Manhattan, up in New York City. I, I I mean, I've been gone for a very long time, but I would not have imagined that back in the day. Um, I guess there are so many people taking so many pictures now that it's different. And people are so worried about surveillance and, and you know. Yeah, and what we, are you going to do with these pictures? Like, yeah. that's a big thing. Uh, my my uh, I was I was at uh, dinner with some friends and my wife was there and, and another friend of ours, a, a woman. Um, and they, and I said, so, uh, how do you feel when someone takes your picture on the street? And they they were, oh, their reaction was horrible. They were like, well, I want to know why are you taking my picture and what are you going to do with this? Are you putting this on the internet? Why are you photographing yeah. me and all? And I'm like, really? And they were like, oh yeah. I mean, they were like, we feel, you know, all of a sudden I'm very aware of how, how I look. Um, it, you know, is what if my makeup's not good? What if I just threw something on to go out and you're taking a picture of me? Like, oh, no, no, I do not want my picture taken. So we did an episode of our podcast called The Grid um, where um, where we had uh, women uh, just as our guests and every one of them were like, do not take my picture. Do yeah. not, I do not want my picture taken, just period. And they and they said, I don't know what you're doing with this picture. What if you're putting it up on the wall of your room? I don't want, you know, I don't yeah, want yeah. some weirdo burning candles around my picture. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it was uh and 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 with guys, you know, the guys were like, Well, I don't care. And the women were like, No, no, how about no? They were really uh they were all over not not having their picture taken. So and I understand it when they gave all their reasons. I'm like, yeah, I just, yeah. you know, as a guy, yeah. I don't think about those things. I am hoping some woman puts my picture on her wall. <laughs> I'm like, I would be delighted. But, but please, here, here's 20 bucks too. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's uh, obviously very different uh, for women. And they, they feel very vulnerable and yeah. uh, 
they they really feel you know it's an intrusion on their privacy. So if I had to pick a city, I I would say New York and followed by Paris. Now I I only had um had one woman in Paris uh you know wave me off. She was like no 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 no. I'm like okay you know no problem. And I moved on. Uh, but I, I was with Jay Maisel, and we're on this. We're filming a class called A Week with Jay Maisel. And I'm just there as like the moderator or the host. I'm not, Jay's doing the teaching and I'm just there, you know, because I'm beautiful. So um, we're walking across the Champs-Élysées and we're getting ready to walk. And Jay turns and and there's a, a woman with kind of a low cut outfit on, uh, a low cut top. And, you know, very attractive, comes walking straight towards us. And I go, oh, Jay, don't photograph her. Don't do it, Jay. Jay can't say no. Jay turns and starts shooting her. She went berserk. Not only did she scream at him in French and said, I'm certain horrible things. Um, she ran away. I mean, she she left, came back, ran back, ran out into the middle of the street to continue yelling at him. She And now I have no idea what she said, but I'm sure it wasn't. Aren't you, Jay Mason? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, she just went, you know, and Jay, you know, Jay's like, hey, I'm sorry. You know, no problem. No, he's got throwing his hands up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, you know, oh, she went berserk. So, um, but still, you know, New York first, because on, on the, you know, a buddy of mine, or we, we, we've, uh, we've taped, uh, classes and you get a permit, you know, you want to shoot anywhere in New York with a tripod, God forbid. Uh, oh, by the way, b- before we get off this, uh, tripods, uh, there was not a single location in nine days that was indoors that allowed tripods, not a mm. one, not a single one. So I used a platypod. No one stopped me. I was able to shoot everywhere indoors using that little plate and a ball head, uh, never got stopped. None of us, there's uh, 13, 14 of us total with the instructors, me and, and me, Mama Donnie, never got stopped, not once. They will not even let you in the door. And here's what it's bad about it. When you take your tripod, you're trying to walk in the door and they won't let you in. You're like, well, can I put my tripod someplace? Nope. They yeah. don't have lockers. They don't have anything. You're just, the answer is no and you have to walk away. All right, so back to my story about New York. Buddy of mine's doing a, a has applied for a permit, has a permit to shoot on this exact corner in New York. He sets up, he put up a light, he had a permit for all this, because if you have a light, it's a different permit. <laughs> Starts to, to to take a portrait, and a cop comes up and says, Hey, you can't do that here. And the guy says, I, I have a permit to shoot here. He goes, I didn't ask for your permit. I said you can't shoot here. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Come on, Kirk, you've been around in New York cop. <laughs> yep. Yep, you can't you say no. Go, well, you can't yes, say officer. no, but we'll suffer the consequences. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yes, I don't want to go to Rikers Island. Yes, officer. I guess <laughs> I will not be shooting here. So, but uh, so that's that's to answer your question in the longest way possible. Sorry, Kurt. <laughs> so b- before we finish, what is your favorite city to shoot in? Paris, hands down, because Paris has everything. Like Paris has different types of architecture. Paris has beautiful parks. Paris has beautiful fountains. Paris has Montmartre, this little artistic district with its own charm. It's got La Defense, which is like shooting in Manhattan with modern skyscrapers. And you can do long exposure stuff up there. Um, You've got just, you've got rivers. You've got beautiful rivers. You've got, uh, and plus the food. Can I talk about the food? But I just think Paris, it's such a large city. It has such different characteristics and right outside Paris are all kinds of other shooting opportunities. You can go to Versailles, but there's palaces, there's opera houses, there's theaters, there's the people of France, the, the fashion, the just 
it's just one place that has so much character that I, I think more than any place you, you can shoot Paris for a week and you've only scratched the surface. Okay, Scott Kelby, thank you very much for joining us. Your book is the Travel Photography Book from Rocky Nook. We have two copies to give away, so if you sign up for our newsletter at photoactive.co, you will be automatically entered into the prize drawing, which is Jeff asking Siri for random numbers. <laughs> Scott, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity, you guys. Take thanks, care. Scott. Okay, Jeff, time for our snapshots. What have you got? So I, I have something that I think we've covered before, but I want to bring it into a different context. So I'm going to talk about uh, an external SSD. So I have a SanDisk Extreme Pro portable SSD. And uh, we've talked about having an external SSD before. It can be really handy. And the reason I'm bringing it up here is that uh, as we record this last week, I was at an event in Washington, D.C. where I shot the event. And Rather than trying to load all of the images that I shot onto my laptop's internal hard drive, I just put everything onto this external. Now, what's nice about this is uh, because it's the Extreme Pro, this is a, a one terabyte model, you can theoretically get speeds up to 2,000 megabits per second, and you know, which means that it's going to be less than that. But the basic message is I never had any problems with speed or accessing images, what I did was I just put a Lightroom Classic library and all the images on this SSD. So none of it was on my internal hard drive and had no problems at all with performance. So this is a SanDisk 1 terabyte Extreme Pro portable SSD. They have to add all sorts of words there. Uh, it lists for like $300. Amazon has it for about $180 right now. So expect somewhere around $200 for the one terabyte model. Uh, absolutely worth it. I have a few of those. Uh, I use one of those connected to my iMac for my music library. I have a one terabyte model. Uh, I have a couple for backups. Uh, the Samsung T5 and T7 are also excellent. I think this is the kind of thing you should always have one of these in your bag. It, this is the new flash exactly. drive. Exactly. Yes, totally. And if you go to Amazon on Prime Day, you're definitely going to get deals on these things. Prime Day is June or July coming up. Mm. Uh, but I see deals on uh, SD cards and SSDs very often on Amazon here in the UK. Yeah, yeah, they do that a lot here too. All right. What do you have this week? Well, inspired by Scott talking about someone yelling at him in New York City, um, once we finished recording, Jeff and I were talking and I was mentioning how Bruce Gilden used to be really aggressive, probably still is, with a camera plus a handheld flash. And he was saying, oh, is that the guy? And and Jeff was thinking about Ron Galello, who was a paparazzi, who just died a week or two ago. And it reminded me that I saw this documentary about him called Smash's Camera, which was made in 2010. And it was about his life. And it was... It was him driving from his home in New Jersey into New York, showing the places he shoots and in his archives, where he's literally got thousands and thousands of photos organized by person. Like, here's all the Frank Sinatra. Here's all the Michael Jackson. Here's all the Jackie Onassis, because he was obsessed with Jackie Onassis. Mm. And it's not the kind of photography we do, but it's an important kind of photography. It is a way of... Um, presenting the world of today, of certain people in the world of today, unfiltered without their PR people and makeup people. Now, you can contest some of his methods like hiding behind bushes and then jumping out to take pictures, which earned him a restraining order regarding Jackie Onassis and her kids. 
but I think this is an important kind of photography. And celebrities and stars, they know this and they play to it very often. They're not always against the paparazzi because it helps maintain their image. They don't like it when they don't look good and someone gets a picture, but they do like it when they do good, look good and someone gets a picture. So it's a kind of, you know, 50-50, um, you do you do something for me, I do something for you. And then other times, you know, it's not like that. And you can see a number of things. I believe he was at a, an event and he goes up to Robert Redford and he's talking to Robert Redford and, and he's taken tons of candid shots of Robert Redford, but he knows him and they're almost friendly. So there is this sort of camaraderie uh, among these people. Now that might be different now because Ron Goel was really old school. Um, but the whole paparazzi thing is, it's kind of interesting. So it's called Smash His Camera. I watched it from the iTunes store. It was a 99-cent rental some months ago. Um, it's still probably cheap. Sounds fascinating. Okay, until next time. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.